gentlemen, I am Kyle Ritchie, your host for the Planet Comedy Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Planet Comedy Podcast, as I mentioned before. You can ca- catch us on iTunes, Spotify, really anywhere you consume podcasts or audio, you know, audio media. Uh, sorry, I've been gone for a couple weeks, guys. If you've been listening, uh, there's been a lot going on. I've been trying to make changes to the show. Uh, life changes, been doing all kinds of things, you know working on my my own personal life got a new car put up a pool got some new show materials like you know like a soundboard and made some upgrades in here uh in the place i record in you know done a lot of good things just been working on a lot of stuff honestly like i said you can catch us anywhere you find your podcast obviously there are other planet comedy podcasts that is the production thing i like to call myself the planet comedy little crew we have here uh, Average Joe's College Football Show, which comes out, a new episode will come out tomorrow with me and my friend Billy Earlywine, season two of that, which is a college football podcast. And then Backseat Fighters, which is a show I do with my friend Colin Baker. He is a, a an MMA, you know, savant and lover like myself. So we will be, we do a podcast together called Backseat Fighters, where we talk about, you know, everything in the world of combat sports. Uh, some other things are coming like a YouTube channel, a Planet Comedy YouTube channel, where I'm going to review, you know, TV shows and movies. Uh, I'm going to try to rewrite some things because I think that's an interesting concept that I would like to challenge them. Um, uh, you know, I would like to challenge myself with. Uh, maybe do some live reactions to watching some TV shows with you guys. Uh, maybe play some video games with you. Uh, the... Next, so we're ah, good lord. I'm just having a hard time keeping up. I had to scroll down here almost like I was reading like a script, but I wasn't. I just have a few notes jotted down, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna move on to the podcast topics for the day. The one of the, the first one I'm gonna get to is uh, Stranger Things Volume 4 or uh, Stranger Things 4 Volume 2 came out, and it's pretty good. Um, obviously. Uh, Stranger Things, you know, speaking of my movie and TV review thing, obviously Stranger Things is a cultural phenomenon. Like, you know, it's the most, season four was the most watched TV premiere in, in like, Netflix history, which is crazy when you think about all the big shows that Netflix has had. You know, Netflix has had a lot of huge shows, but I gotta say, I think Stranger Things is probably the flagship TV show. Like, you know, everyone had Netflix in 2016, but when this show came out, it felt like Netflix really exploded. And it was from that moment on that you kind of had all these crazy shows spawned, like Ozark and, you know, sub- shows like Sabrina or The Witcher or, you know, in any Netflix original series, The Umbrella Academy. It feels like it all started with this show. And for a while, it felt like this was going to be the last season of the show, but it's not. They are going to have one more season. Uh, but this show changed everything in 2016, and it'll end in 2024. And what a wild ride. Eight years, five seasons. It was uh, a great season. I, fan reaction to the season has been super interesting to watch. Uh, my girlfriend loves the show, and she cried like four times. And I love that because I love when I love when a story can pull emotion out of its fans, and I respect that. The Duffer Brothers have done a wonderful job uh, finding a fan base, getting them invested, and just continuing the story. I mean, people are super in on this. I have best friends who watch it. My friend Billy, who I talked about with my college football podcast. So we, we had a big, long chat <clears throat> about Stranger Things. I'm going to be 
super honest with you guys, I liked the show, but I was I didn't like season two. I wasn't a big fan of season two of how they took the story of season two, and I wasn't just I just wasn't a big fan of the demo dogs. I wasn't a big fan of the whole as much as everybody loves Bob, the whole Bob Newman thing. I just it didn't feel like the same kind of mystery, sci-fi, scary Stephen Hawking, not Stephen Hawking, Stephen King story that I had watched in the first season. But the first season to me is almost the perfect TV show. And then season three was pretty good, but this was the season for me that got back to the roots of the show. And I felt like, wow, this season's great. And it is great. Uh, it, this season is an incredibly complex season, I want to say. like I don't, I don't know I even know really how to describe what I watched. It, there were so many film references and classic horror references that I understood. Like, you know, Vecna was obviously a, an allegory for, like, Freddy Krueger. But I guess, you know, like I said, the final season will come out in 2024. Uh, fans have been all over social media reacting to it. So it's, it's a great show. It's a cultural phenomenon. You guys should check it out if you've never checked it out. Uh, things I liked about uh, Stranger Things 4 Volume 2. Uh, Sadie Sink's performance is incredible. She does a wonderful job as Max Mayfield. She really makes you care about her. She has the perfect amount of sass and kind of sweet character moments where you kind of realize that she's a real person and her whole sassy attitude is to protect her emotions, which, you know, all of us low-key do. As I said before, Vecna is a, uh, a great villain. These are just off-top thoughts in my head. This isn't going to be... I, I want to make sure everyone knows this little review thing I'm doing right now is not a deep dive into Stranger Things. These are just the t- things I thought about Volume 2 after the first couple times watching it and watching the ending. Uh, Sadie Singh's performance as Mac is incredible. Vecna is a great villain. He's just... It really feels like this show has for a long time needed a villain that could talk. And I think that was what they had intended for, for Brenner. For Dr. Brenner to be the guy who could talk to the kids and kind of, you know, taunt them and antagonize and be the true antagonist of the show. This show has needed that, I think, for a while. Because for a long time, you just have these monsters that are kind of just inanimate and they just move around and murder people, which is cool and worked for the first season. But I, I think establishing Vecna slash Henry Creel, spoiler alert, uh, as the the big bad, I think that was a smart move, and he does a great job uh, as Vecna. He's terrifying. First off, he's he, the way he kills people in the show is gnarly, um, and the whole thing, like the breaking of the bones and the eyes popping, it's terrifying. It's very Freddy. That's what I like about it. Is he kind of like takes over your mind. And you have these terrible nightmares, and then he murders you in this like trance. It's very Friday. It's very Friday the Thirteenth, and I loved it. I loved the performance from the actor. I just loved everything about this. The way it tied the whole show kind of together, which I have to admit, I didn't think they'd be able to do after all the twists and turns the show has taken. Like you can just tell, there's been a lot of mid-season changes when you watch the seasons of the show. Like things they decided that weren't going to work. The fact that they were still able to tie everything together at the end is a very impressive thing with this one villain. Uh, another thing I really liked is Hawkins as a setting again. I love Hawkins, the town. It's so it's it's so nice to have kind of like the small town claustrophobia feel again. Because that's what I love about season one. 
one of the best things about season one is you feel like you're trapped because you're in this small Indiana town where no one is going to believe you that there's these other dimensional monsters and that one has stolen your friend or your little brother or, you know, your little brother's best friend. Like no one's going to believe that. So you kind of are on your own. And there's this almost, I guess, an almost claustrophobic feel to it because you can't like leave. Your parents are there and, par- and parents in the 80s were an interesting lot, but they still kept pretty good track of their children most of the time. So I just, I, I love the feel of Hawkins. I love the feel of the small town. I love the enclosure. Like the, that's more what I feel. The, the claustrophobia comes from the angry citizens, which is something new that we didn't get in season one because there weren't really angry citizens. It was like the town itself was trying to keep the story hidden. And you knew that was the, the people in the Hawkins lab. This season, the town itself turns on the kids for the first time. And, like, when they consider them, like, when Jason, the basketball player, the blonde, evil basketball player that everyone hates, when he kind of, like, proclaim, you know, almost frames them, basically, as this cult, he, it, the town turns on them, and it's that is such an interesting concept because I love that. And I think that's something they try to do in season three with kind of, like, the body snatchers. Uh, vibe that they had in season three the revenge of the body snatchers where like you know the mind flayer was taking over people from the town and turning them into those meat monsters however i think this was done much better because it's much more organic you know what i mean like they are all just kids who happen to be friends with this older kid who plays dungeons and dragons and because of that they're all in a cult and they're murdering these people first off how could a human being even like it's just it's such a good breakdown of how when you have tiny towns like this, when you have these small communities, how quickly like a rumor or something like that could spread like wildfire and people could do things that they regret. And it's such a good writing tool. And I think Hawkins is such a good writing tool. The small town of Hawkins should have been the setting for so much more of this show. It just, I love everything about Hawkins and I always will. It's just such a perfect, beautiful setting for this show also it doesn't hurt that i live in indiana um i do like how like the the story of the kids how things change the older you get like the kids are all older mike 11 lucas like lucas is playing sports now and is kind of one trying to be one of the normal kids like he's trying to pretend to be normal um 11 is being viciously bullied it's one of the most horrific things it's super hard to watch and then she tries to use her powers to stop the bullying. It's very cringeworthy. And it's so she's going through a lot, but she's almost all alone. And Will is kind of the same thing. Like, Will has been through so much in this show. And now he's kind of like trying to grow up like a normal kid, you know, going through all the normal kid things. And there's, you know, obviously a lot of indication that the character is gay. So I'm sure, like, I just love the idea of, like, how much life can change so quickly when you're going from that, you know, preteen to young teenager age to the young adults that these kids are becoming. And I just think that it's, it's going to be so fascinating to watch them as, you know, semi-adult characters. I think that is one of the most fascinating things about this next season is if they're going to do a time jump is how long it'll be because they talk about doing a time jump. As the, you know, watching these characters get older to me is one of the most fascinating parts of the show because their personalities will evolve and change. I think that's good writing. I think it's good writing to have you 
still interested in the kid characters after four seasons. Uh, Jason, the character, I love the fact that he was just the worst kid ever. He was just the worst dude. Like, he was down to kill, you know, children. He was down to kill Eddie. Like, he just immediately, with no hesitation, was just like, mob violence is the answer. And I respect that. I respect villains that while you understand their motivations, you're like, but you are a monster. Because it's so good. It's so good that Jason, you know, because you get it. His girlfriend was brutally murdered and one of the most horrific things I've ever seen <laughs> on, on a television show. But he and he gets really messed up about it. And But the obviously, again, his answer is to just rile up the town to go kill everybody. And I'm just like, oh. And then, of course, at the end, when he almost causes Max's death by getting in that fight with Lucas. First off, I thought Lucas was a goner. When he started choking Lucas, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to kill Lucas off with Jason. And it was like, and this, everybody's going to hate this character forever. And uh, that's not what happened. Fortunately, it, that's not what happened. But it was just a he was such a great human villain. Like, you know, he was such a great contrast villain to Vecna. Because Vecna's like this all-powerful, psychic, you know, m- demon monster. And Jason is just an asshole. Like, that's that's really it. He's just a dick. He's just a giant, giant dick. And, you know, sometimes that leads you down a quite a terrifying path. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown continues to impress me every time I see her as Eleven. She's so great. She's just... She's so good at this role, and I think she's such a great actress in general. Like, she's really, she nails this. She nails kind of the trauma of being, like, almost like a test tube baby, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, her trying to, like, adapt to human society and how things work, and she doesn't really understand, like, when she's getting bullied, she doesn't really understand why these kids are being such dicks to her, even though she didn't do anything to them. And it's just interesting to watch a character who is so far removed from society kind of try to integrate in. I think Millie does a wonderful job of kind of bringing that out of the character. And not only that, she makes her so sympathetic. You know, we've, we've seen Eleven display incredible power, but somehow she's super vulnerable. Like it's a very hard performance because she's objectively the most powerful character on the show. But Millie does a great job of making you feel sorry for her and making you want to, like, she does a great job of, despite the fact that she could, you know, pull the house down that you're probably going to round you down, uh, it makes, she makes you want to hug her. And it's just, I feel like that's such a hard thing to do when you're the strongest character on a show. Like, when you are the character that everyone knows could destroy everybody. Uh, Eddie Munson's arc was heartbreaking. And, but so well written. And I, I... I respect it. I respect it heavily. The Duffer brothers really, really turned it up on this one. Uh, he was, first off, Joseph Quinn deserves so many props. He did a great job with this character. He's so charismatic in the role. And he he, he was one of those guys that you almost knew when he started the season. That he was going to die. And you just couldn't help but fall in love with him. Sorry, I had to get a sip. Uh, but yeah, he was one of those guys that you just, you know, over the course of the season, you just couldn't help but fall more and more in love with the character and want him so badly survive. And it's just, 
and his arc from being like almost this kind of like cowardly doofus character to at the end he sacrifices himself to save dustin again it's just heartbreaking like he's there for the inciting incident of the show when chrissy gets killed by vecna and basically from that moment on he believes he's in danger and he runs but when he runs he gets framed and like in reality he's kind of just a dork and it's but he's a very charismatic and lovable dork. You know, he's just a burnout. And it's Joseph Quinn does such a good job of portraying this just beautiful burnout character who you want to root for so bad, but deep down in your heart, you know, probably isn't going to make it. And of course, when he doesn't make it, it's heartbreakingly sad. And it brings, you know, brought tears to i'm sure everyone who watches the show's eyes i didn't cry well i did i teared up uh when dustin uh, cried when he died i did tear up for that that was oof uh but yeah eddie munson just does a wonderful job just or joseph quinn does a wonderful job eddie munson is a wonderful character uh one of the best and most well written and uh, i'll say this one of the most well acted characters i've seen in a very long time he nailed this uh, the mystery and horror elements of the show return. You know, I, I've always complained ever since anyone who listened to me about this show that the thing they went away from in seasons two and three was the Stephen King horror aspects. You know what I mean? Like they just uh, they they kind of just made it more like an adventure coming of age thing, which is cool and I liked it. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying that was one of my favorite parts of the show was the fact that there was this mystery horror scary element to everything like everything there was always a an ooga booga around every fucking corner and i loved that about this show on the first season i loved every second of the of the scooby-doo mystery which they brought back this year uh of like who is vecna and why is he doing this and like the first season it was like what happened to will and how do we get him back it was just so good and the this is the first season that made me feel the same way the first season did in this sense I didn't know what was happening. Like, I knew about as much as the characters. In seasons two and three, you kind of had an idea of what was going on pretty early on in the season. In this season and the first season, they give you bits and you're trying to figure it out. And that's one of the best parts of this season is there were just so many things that I was like, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. I haven't felt that way with Stranger Things since season one. So credit to the Duffer Brothers for recapturing the original like mystique of the show and i that's just incredible uh the show looks great cinematography wise uh, special effects wise just a beautifully shot and directed and written show and the actors are obviously all on their a-game and the ending really is epic i have to say that the ending of this season truly is epic even if there are some complaints i'm about to give you guys here in a second which i'm sure you won't like uh, but it sets up an interesting final season, an interesting like series finale, because uh, I, I think they just set up a perfect way to end the show, and I'm excited to see what they do in two years. Uh, but some things I didn't like from Stranger Things 4 Volume 2. Uh, I didn't like the contrived adult Russia story. I wasn't big into that. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. First off, it had been up to me. You're gonna hate this. I would have kept Hopper dead. I would have made. I would have been. They made that a permanent thing. 
In my world, Hopper would have been gone. There would have been no reason to go to Russia to save him because he was dead. But they didn't do that, and I'm fine with that. I have no big issue with Hopper not being dead. That's not. It didn't ruin the season for me. But the the whole going to Russia and getting him out of Russia thing, to me, just felt a little contrived. It felt a lot like they couldn't figure out where to slot the adults into the Vecna and the kids story. So they just kind of left them out. So they just kind of wrote in this super contrived Russian escape plot. I mean, I get the getting Hopper from Russia. That's actually not that contrived. But when they go back to fight the Demogorgons and they go back, you know, and like, oh, it'll hurt Vecna. Like that to me just seemed like it was written in there to give the adults something to do in the final episode. Because realistically, it's more interesting if they escape and then the Demogorgons get out. Like they leave, then the Demogorgons get out and you hear in the next season on the like, because if you're going to do, a, you know, apocalyptic last season, you hear on the next season about the news how these Demogorgons all escaped into the wild of Russia. And now you have a crew of Demogorgons just eating people. Uh, the, West Coast crew, the West Coast crew on this show, Jonathan, Will, Mike, Argyle, all those guys, uh, they felt kind of useless for most of the season. Like, they didn't really do anything. Like, they just kind of chilled. Jonathan smoked weed and talked about which, no problem with that. Jonathan smoked weed and talked about Nancy and how he didn't want to maybe not go to college with her. Will moped for most of the season slash felt bad about being third wheel, which he should. He was heavy third wheeled. And then Mike, Mike really doesn't do anything. Mike's just kind of there this season. I mean, Mike, understandable, like his whole arc is kind of like for the season is like, he can't tell. He stopped telling Elle that he loves her and, like, maybe he's stopped being interested in her. But, I mean, like, we've kind of done that. I mean, that's kind of was the whole point of the first three seasons. It was like, I, I just don't understand. We don't need that. Okay? Just have Mike and Eleven happily be together. There's a plenty of interesting stuff going on in this show. Uh, and here's the big one for me that I think is going to make you guys mad. Uh, Max's death should have been permanent. She should have died at the end. For me, realizing for Elle to kind of just deus ex machina her and like use her mental mind powers to bring Max back to life and give her, you know, when she comes back, she's in a coma. I get, but let's be real. That was the moment. If you're going to kill a main character, that was the perfect timing. And it sets up the next season perfectly. The stakes are so much higher because now a main character, not only a main character, one of the child, one of the children has died, has been killed. You can still have Vecna get hurt and like and be wounded. I just, it would have motivated all the kid characters. Like it motivates everybody to try to kill Vecna because he killed Max. I just, I just think there were it. There's such a better story going into the final season if her death is permanent. If she doesn't make it out of that encounter with Vecna alive, she basically sacrifices herself to give Elle a chance to kick his ass. But in the process of kicking his ass, she gets you know killed. And I think that's just such an interesting, an interesting prospect. And they should have left her dead. They should have left her dead. But that's, those are really my big complaints. Um, 
please stick with the horror theme, Duffer Brothers, and please, more Scooby-Doo style mystery stuff. Because that is when, I don't care what anyone says, the Scooby-Doo style mystery stuff, that is when Stranger Things is at its best. Stephen King horror combined with Scooby-Doo style mystery. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, we'll move on to our second podcast topic. How long have we been going here? Oh, 24 minutes, baby. Our second podcast topic is the trivia tournament, the Planet Comedy Trivia Tournament. Now, you're probably wondering, if you haven't heard about this yet, what is the Planet Comedy Trivia Tournament? Well, uh, I'm going to be doing a trivia tournament where I ask people if if there's going to be eight contestants, three rounds. Go from eight to four to two. Uh, In each round, I'm going to ask the contestants 15 questions, three sets of questions, all three different categories three sets of five the contestants will be given three guesses on each question the first to buzz in and answer the question correctly will score a point uh, failure to answer the question correctly first will result in the contestant eating a hot wing now if you've watched this show before or if you've heard of this show our hot wings are kind of famous because they made me me throw up and cry on camera twice so they're pretty hot if i have to say so myself and I've seen multiple people sweat while eating them. I've seen people cry while eating them. It's a very hot wing. And the reason for the hot wings is if at any point a contestant would like to stop, because every time you get a question wrong, every wrong answer or every failure to answer first leads to the losing contestant eating a hot wing. If at any point a contestant would like to stop, they may verbally submit or tap out. However, said contestant will forfeit the round. Winners are determined by either a higher point total or by tap out. The finale winner receives a championship belt, which I will show you on the clip on the Facebook page, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, an episode dedicated to them and their victory. Like all of that will be coming your way. And if you guys are wondering why I'm doing this, because I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be super entertaining. Uh, all of my friends are assholes, just like I am, snarky assholes. We all think we're smarter than each other. And I think a lot of people will be super in the chance to not only make their friends eat hot wings but prove that they're smarter than them you know what i'm saying so i think uh this is a win-win for everyone invested here that's all i'm saying the trivia tournament hopefully will be beginning in late march or not late march late july and early august each matchup will be one entire episode and the finale will actually be filmed live be filmed live and put on the social medias uh Another thing I have to cover is the Vince McMahon affair and what is this? A Vince McMahon affair and like his affair slash scandal slash sexual misconduct nonsense, if you will. Here, we'll dive into this. Vince McMahon, the owner, CEO, and chairman of the World Wrestling Entertainment, the WWE. I'm sure many of you have watched it as I did growing up as a child. I love professional wrestling, so I'm obsessed with this story right now. Uh, Allegedly, he's paid four women $12 million over a 16-year period to keep allegations of sexual misconduct quiet. It started with an investigation into a $3 million payment to cover an affair with a paralegal in WWE. Like This came out like a week ago, two weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal, I believe. Uh, It was him and... uh, I'm trying to think of this guy's title. I know the name. His name is John Laurinaitis. I'm trying to think of having my notes here somewhere. Ah, head of talent relations. John Laurinaitis was also involved. He had to pay 
a million dollars to the same paralegal because apparently they, I guess, passed her back and forth, which is weird. Uh, but it started all with that. And since then, what has come out, um, first off, McMahon, after all this came out, Vince announced he would step away as the company's CEO and chairman, but would still run the like creative, which in case anyone's wondering, the creative is like the writing of the wrestling show, the day-to-day of that. He was replaced in the interim in his CEO and chairman job by his daughter, Stephanie McMahon. You may know her from when she married Triple H and almost killed Test. Uh, largely viewed as a publicity move, though, because Vince Vince is still running things. Vince is still calling all the shots. The report is that he's running things with the, the new president of the company, Nick Khan. So, essentially, Vince still runs this, this giant global conglomerate this giant global wrestling conglomerate and it's um it's crazy it's crazy what he can get away with but you know uh but in a new report released on friday last friday friday july 8th uh vince was reported to have paid seven million dollars to a former wrestler for a pressured sexual relationship one million to a wwe contractor for unsolicited dick pics and another million for a relationship with a former wwe manager so basically, Vince is Vince is just a shoot. I mean, I, hey, I guess shoot or shoot, but Jesus Christ, dude! I mean, I this is some expensive shooting. I mean, twelve million dollars over a sixteen-year period is a lot to keep quiet. For me, the concerning one is the pressured sexual relationship. I want to know what that was like, because for me, all this is problematic. Because you got to remember, this is an extremely powerful man, an icon in his not an icon, the icon in his industry. So, to me, for getting an unsolicited dick pic from Vince McMahon probably has to bring up a lot of conflicting feelings for a young woman. Because here's the thing. This dude runs the WWE. Like, anyone who has this, before I continue on, anyone who doesn't understand how this company is set up, um, if you want to have any idea that, like, oh, is there any oversight? No, not really. There's not any oversight of Vince. Vince is the, he owns the company. He is the chairman of the board of directors. He is the majority shareholder, I believe, by like 60%. I mean, he he owns the company. So for him to put any kind of pressure on any of his female employees, is that's why that's incredibly problematic is because he's basically a god in the wrestling world. And he it's incredibly hard for someone that, you know, young and trying to make it in the wrestling industry to try you know, to try to resist that, you know, it's bad for your boss to hit on you. Like it just is, especially when they hold this much concerted power over you. I mean, there could be, I'm sure there are some situations out there where, you know, bosses and their employees got together and it was a wonderful relationship. But most of the time your boss trying to hit on you is a bad thing because it's just a it's just too much of a power dynamic for someone to be in a relationship with someone that can fire them at any given moment. And that's just a lot to put on a personal relationship. But yeah, uh, WWE Head of Talent Relations, John Laurinaitis, is also involved. And he's, he's probably cooked. This is probably the end for him. This is probably the end of his tenure with the, the company. Uh, this is believed to be part of the reason why... Stephanie stepped away from the company earlier this year. There's been calls on social media for Vince himself to step down, which I just don't see happening because Vince is not going to do that. Vince's whole mentality is like ruthless aggression. So people who think Vince McMahon is going to step down, Vince McMahon's not going anywhere. 
but Vince's Netflix documentary has been canceled. There's a, a huge documentary coming out on Netflix about Vince's life. Now, Vince was going to oversee it, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of complete and utter bullshit in there that did not happen <laughs> because Vince has a, a habit of doing that. But Vince's Netflix documentary is gone. They're not going to release it on Netflix because of everything that's come out about him. Uh, apparently, the wrestlers in the bat in the locker room are frustrated over the lack of comment and direction from the company. But I mean, he is like Teflon McMahon. I mean, Vince is not. This is not the first time Vince has been in trouble. Uh, Vince had a troubled youth. He, you know, fought Marines when he was in his twenties. I think he would go to colleges in North Carolina or go to military academies and find Marines and start boxing matches with them. Uh, he basically stole the company from his dad. Uh, his dad didn't want to sell him his final shares because he knew Vince was going to buy up all the other wrestling companies and make it a national product, and he didn't want him to do that, thought it was bad for the wrestling business. And then when Vince Sr. started dying, Vince Jr., our Vince, our Vince McMahon, just bought all the shares up because he's a savage. And then there's the 1990s steroid scandal, which the the at best uh, Vince was neglectful at the use of painkillers and steroids that cost many professional wrestlers their lives. At worst, he was actively helping the distribution of the drugs so they would work harder and longer. So that's not great. He barely, I mean, barely escaped prosecution in that. That's where the famous picture, if you've ever seen it, of Vince McMahon and his little his little neck braces. That's, that's from the steroid scandal. Uh, there's always been accusations that he helped Jimmy Superfly Snooker cover up the fact that he beat his girlfriend to death, which is not good. Uh, which you know Jimmy did get charged for that, and many believe that he did it, and I believe that he did it. Um, so, and I do believe that Vince probably covered it up, or at least helped in some way cover it up and keep him on the road and keep him as a professional wrestler and free on the streets for years. And by all accounts, Jimmy was an awful person, so that's not great. Um, he's been accused multiple times of sexual misconduct with wrestlers like Sable, who's Brock Lesnar's wife, I believe, sued him for kind of, for unwanted sexual advances. Or, and um, he's reportedly made a lot of unwanted advances as many of his employees. And then there's the Rita Chatterton story. Now, if you've never heard this, I didn't hear this till recently. Rita Chatterton was a referee in the WWE, and she, in the 70s, said that Vince out and out raped her in the back of a van. Or not in the back of a van, the back of a taxi. And she's a, uh, someone who was wrestling at the time. And I believe the taxi driver corroborated her story, and nothing's ever been that. Nothing's ever happened. I mean, she got fired. I don't think she's ever worked in wrestling again. And. You know, and to me, this just the Rita Chatterton story proves what I said earlier about like these women felt uncomfortable with their relationship with Vince. Like, I know that's coming. They should have done something. They should have said no. I mean, when you look at the story, this woman says she was raped and has people to back her up, and nothing's ever happened to Vince. Like, nothing's ever happened to Vince because of this. I, I didn't even know this was a story until I started looking into Vince's past, and I just. To me, it kind of shows that, you know, women in wrestling, in a lot of ways, wrestling is like the film industry before, you know, um, 
the Me Too movement, and even after a little bit. It's just women are viewed as kind of sex objects and often assaulted and mistreated. And there was a whole hashtag speaking out process where we found out how horrific things were now. And I can't imagine what it was like in the 70s and 80s, you know, when these dudes just wielded all kinds of uncomfortable power. Uh, all the recent progress just kind of seems to uncover more abuse. But hopefully with, you know, a woman, Stephanie, at the head of the company, some things can start to change. Because the hope, for me at least, is that it seems Stephanie genuinely cares about the wrestling business. She genuinely cares about the WWE. And she, you know, obviously cares about women's issues as a woman. Hopefully Stephanie can turn things around in this company. And speaking of the abuse of women, we move on to the spotlight topic of the evening. Uh, which is the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yeah, we're going to talk about it. I'm sorry. I... I I feel like even though most of the time I go with the same thing that everyone else does, which is I don't have a uterus, it's not, in my opinion, doesn't matter. However, I do feel like we need to speak up about this because this is, the taking away of rights is never okay. And I won't, I can't stand by while I have a somewhat, you know, a small platform as it is a platform and allow rights to be taken away from people and not say anything about it. So first things first, we'll do a quick uh, kind of overview. Uh, what is Roe versus Wade? If you've, you know, if you want a quick FYI, Roe versus Wade is a Supreme Court decision that established a woman's right to choose outweighed the state's concern for prenatal life up to the point of viability. The point of viability is when a fetus can live outside the womb. The standard point of viability is typically 24 to 28 weeks around that area. Uh, state's concern for prenatal life outweighs the mother's choice after the point of viability. Under Roe versus Wade, states cannot ban abortions before the point of viability. Now, that's the whole thing. 24 to 28 weeks was the point of viability, the standard point of viability. If under Roe versus Wade, states, states could not at all ban abortions before that point. Which, to me, seems quite fair. It's not, like, to me, when people tell you, you know, oh... All these people who want abortions, they want the wild, wild west. They want you to be able to abort a baby whenever you want. Most people agree with Roe versus Wade, which is there should be a point of viability, and at that, then we can have a discussion. Okay? But before that point, Roe versus Wade's stance was women should be able to do whatever the fuck they want. And until then, there's not even a conversation to be had. It's their choice. Now, I would argue <clears throat> there's a good, consistent argument that it should be their choice at all times. But I'm willing to have the conversation. I think more people are willing to have the conversation with a point of viability argument. Uh, and that was Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was not extreme at all. It was very, very tame. It gave states the rights after the point of viability to put restrictions on abortions, to ban abortions at a certain point. To me, Roe versus Wade is a very, very, very fair piece of legislation. However, on December 1st, 2021, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization was brought to the Supreme Court, challenging Mississippi's abortion ban after 15 weeks. Now, upholding uh, Mississippi's abortion ban that they put in that they that they wanted to put into law, 15 weeks obviously breaks the point of viability because point of viability is 24 to 28. So this would, obviously, if they uphold the ban, they would be overturning Wade. They would be agreeing to overturn the precedent of Roe versus Wade. 
And uh, on May 2nd, 2022, a Politico report came out with a leaked draft from this Supreme Court, which a leaked draft opinion, sorry, leaked draft opinion. Uh, a leaked draft opinion is basically like an op-ad for Supreme Courts, I guess, where they just, it's like a journal, I suppose, where they just write down what they think the fuck they're going to do. It was the, oh, it's the weirdest thing. Um, but they indicated that the court was going to indeed overturn Roe versus Wade. We were just going to roll the clocks back, I suppose. And then obviously June 24th, uh, court did indeed uphold the Mississippi ban on 15 weeks in of abortion and with a 6-3 vote and then overturn Roe versus Wade with a 5-4 to four vote. And there you go. That's the, that's the breakdown of the timeline of Roe versus Wade being overturned. And what Roe versus Wade is, if you didn't know what Roe versus Wade was. Uh, the reaction to this, there have been political protests all over the place. Abortion bans and restrictions in about 20 states will be implemented very, very soon. They're called snap laws or zombie laws. They're called zombie laws uh, because they died when Roe versus Wade was put into effect. Or snap laws because they snap back into effect once Roe versus Wade is repealed. Uh, some period apps some like period tracking phone apps could be used to prosecute women who travel across state for abortion that's something that republicans are arguing in state houses uh another big reaction for me is that democrats are actually polling over republicans now despite you know gas prices and prices for everything being ridiculous the fact that this is how important this issue is to people and I, of course it is it's it's a woman's right to do whatever the fuck she wants their body like I just don't understand why people didn't think this was going to be an issue that was super important and that was going to swing a lot of people to the left. Like, of course, it's going to swing people to the left because they can, you know, now use this to beat Republicans over the head about how they repealed Roe versus Wade and basically just sent us back to the 1940s. Multiple politicians have called for punishment of Supreme Court justices. Uh, They say, you know, for under the indication that they lied. And and I'm going to be honest here. I've read the quotes from these justices, uh, and they didn't lie because they never said they wouldn't change it, but they they misled. The, the, the overall vibe that these justices, these conservative court justices give you is that Roe is a precedent, and they don't intend to try to mess with that, and they don't intend to try to make waves, essentially, that they don't intend to you know, basically change the foundation of the country because Roe has been in effect for you know 30 years 30 40 years they don't want to change you know basically rolling back human rights essentially and that was not the case i mean they they indicated that this was a settled thing and it clearly wasn't a settled thing for them and they had every intention that as soon as they had the numbers they were going to do this and to me that's that's no different than lying they they misled they misled the public. They misled the public. They misled the House and Congress. They misled everybody. Uh, the inaction by the president, by President Biden and Congress has created even more anger. People are very upset that basically the president and the people they elected are doing nothing to protect their reproductive rights. And they should be fucking angry. Like, of course they're fucking angry. Everyone needs to be fucking angry. This is a ridiculous abuse of power by the Supreme Court. And... Joe Biden has every ability to get this under control. He just doesn't because he also doesn't want to make waves. He just wants to get through this presidency and, you know, because it completes his political career to be the president. 
it, this is it. He's this is his four years. Once he's done, he's probably done. He probably won't even run again. And if he does, I don't even think he'll be the nominee. His approval rating's at an all time low. He's just I think he's cooked. And that's terrifying because we need somebody who's gonna push back because senators from states like Arizona and Mississippi and Texas have discussed banning things like contraceptives, like regular birth control. And I'm just like, nah, fam, that's hold on. <laughs> hold on, time out. Now, I don't think this will ever get traction because, you know, men use contraceptives and quite enjoy them. And I, listen, I'll be honest with you guys, as a dude, they ban contraceptives. I'll get a bisectomy tomorrow. I, this is, people are being ridiculous. This has become a ridiculous thing. I would get a bisectomy anyway, though. They're just generally safer, more effective and, you know, easy. It's not, you know, it's not a hard thing to recover from. Stop being so prideful. It's not a not a big deal, all right? But uh, in that vein, the Texas uh, AD has discussed defending a sodomy law, which in case anyone doesn't know, a sodomy laws uh, essentially ban anal sex and oral sex. Now, it's not really enforced on straight couples, like, you know, if Texas were to ban sodomy, it wouldn't really be enforced. It wouldn't really be for enforced on like a dude was fucking his wife in the ass or getting a blowjob. This is mainly to punish gay people. This is mainly to punish gay people. This is a this is a law essentially used to outlaw intimate sex acts between gay people. So that's super fun that that's a thing that we're talking about coming back, maybe. Uh, House Republicans have pushed for a nationwide now 15-week abortion ban, which is interesting because everyone continues to argue that this is about states' rights and the states' right to choose. But here we go with a nationwide 15-week abortion ban. Uh, so my personal thoughts on all this. If I have, you haven't heard enough of them. Rolling back Roe versus Wade is just a terrible idea. You first off, you can miss me with any fucking religious arguments as long as churches aren't paying any taxes. All right, when you start paying taxes, maybe we can have a fucking discussion about you shaping uh, United States law. And even then, you can still go fuck yourselves. Uh, banning abortion doesn't stop abortion. It just doesn't. That's just statistically, it has been proven with countries that did ban abortion for long times, I believe it was Albania, that it just leads really to people getting back, you know, back alley abortions. It just, it just leads to people making poor choices. That's all it does. It just leads to people who don't have any other option, who can't afford to have a child, making poor life choices and doing things to their body that they shouldn't do. Like it's just, that is a fact, statistical fact. In every country that has done this, it has not had the desired effect. It has not decreased abortion. The countries where abortion are abortions are illegal are much more statistically likely to have women's health issues. I mean, they just I mean, of course they are. Like you have poor people who you're not giving another choice to make going to back alley doctors and using fucking coat hangers. And that's where we're gonna get here in the United States now. Because the, especially with a nationwide 15-week abortion ban, this is insane. It's insane to me that this is all 
happening. Um, some labor is dangerous to mothers, and an abortion is the only option for her to survive. And essentially, that is a choice you have to make in the, you know, in when you're in the labor room with, presumably, if you're with someone, if you're unless you're having a child by yourself, which is quite common, and nothing wrong with that. But those choices can't be made now. There's not a choice. You have to try to save the child. And it's just sometimes that's just not an option. And I, don't, I think people just don't understand the different variations of this procedure and that it's not what they think it is. Uh, the base, this is all based on the concern for prenatal life. But it's to me, in a lot of ways, I don't think people realize that they are prioritizing prenatal life over the lives of actual women. And to me, this just is, it's such an odd thing. It's such an odd priority that these people have or pretend to have. Because the real solution to abortion is better childcare. Countries with the lowest abortion rates typically have things like, you know, good childcare laws on the books, such as universal federal childcare, universal pre-K, paid paternity leave, free school lunches, and way fucking more than we've ever had in this country for our children. You know, Oddly enough, people, you know, making people's lives easier tends to make them more amenable to having children because they think they can actually raise their child in a good environment when they know they're going to be taken care of and they know that there's going to be concerted effort for them to get an education and have food in their stomach and a fucking roof over their head. You know, it's just, it's insane how that works, isn't it? Oh, and by the way, all these provisions, you know, uh, universal federal child care, universal pre-K, paid paternity leave. All that was in Build Back Better. All that. All the bill that everyone likes to shit on on social media. All the stuff I, most of the stuff I just listed to you, that was in Build Back Better. That was like got cut, cut out of that fucking bill because of someone like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema. And I know this is super political for this show and I just went, you know, half an hour with you guys talking about how I'm going to do a ridiculous fucking trivia tournament eating hot wings for a championship belt and basically reviewing Stranger Things and talking about how Vince McMahon can't keep his dick in his pants. But this is a different topic. This is important. So I took the time to do some research and educate myself. And all this was in Build Back Better. And if all of you anti-abortion advocates care so fucking deeply about the life of children, why do you continue to vote for these fucking people who continuously pull provisions like this out of laws and i don't want to hear oh it's attached to other things that's how laws work that's how you get things passed that's how republicans do it that's how everyone does it you have to attach it to things people fucking want it basically what i'm trying to tell you guys is you guys are full of shit these people are full of shit anyone who's an anti-abortion advocate and claims to care about the lives of children and continue to vote for these fucking assholes is a liar and you're full of shit and you, you may not know you're full of shit but you are and you have to realize that uh, also the claim that this is about giving states the right to choose is bullshit because house republicans in the house of representatives immediately flipped around and won a nationwide abortion ban which would be incredibly tragic and stupid and i just I can't believe that that's where we're at with this, is that we, there's a discussion being had about a nationwide abortion ban in this country. Um, but 
I guess that is what it is. And then there's all obviously the argument about the vaccine when people say it's my body, my choice. And they're like, what about the vaccine? I want to make this clear. Choosing not to get a vaccine. I agree with people that the vaccine should not have been forced. It should not have kept you out of parts of society to not get a fucking COVID vaccine. I'm sorry. Maybe that makes me look stupid, but I just feel that's ridiculous. Because here's the thing. We don't require people to get a fucking measles vaccine. We just call you a moron if you don't. And that's how we should have treated people that didn't get the COVID vaccine. You're just... I think social shaming goes a lot further than people think it does. But to me, to compare you choosing not to get a vaccination for a disease to a forced fucking pregnancy is one of the most ridiculous comparisons I've ever heard. And please stop making it. Okay? They're in different fucking leagues. They are not the same thing. Now that that's clear... My final kind of take on this is that I'm amazed we've reached a point where society is technologically more advanced than we've ever been. I mean, we can practically do anything we want. We can, you know, we have all the answers to any question we could ever have at the tip of our fucking hands. Um, You can talk to people across the world in seconds. You can watch i mean look at just all the technological advances we made all the medical advances we made i mean you can damn near put someone's arm back fucking on there are so many diseases that we can cure now that we used to not have no idea about vaccines obviously are an incredible fucking usage or an advantage to this country with all that it somehow feels like socially we are regressing like we're going backwards you know like with the the anger and the divide and the frustration with people like and not only that obviously with the laws you know like there's so many other things that could be challenged like the supreme court is looking at other cases like griswold versus connecticut which is the right to use fucking birth control or lawrence versus texas which is the anti-sodomy law i talked about or uh oberfell versus hodges which is the right for gay marriage i mean it's such an odd dichotomy that we live in now where things are so advanced and we have electric cars and cars that can fucking drive themselves but you know in two fucking years gay people may not be able to get married again and that's a wild world to me that we live in women can't get you know don't have the right to do whatever the fuck they want with their own bodies and you know maybe won't have the right to use fucking birth control or get a fuck their tubes tied I just, I'm more nervous now than I ever have been for the future of, like, personal rights in this country. And maybe that's naive of me. I try to, like, not think of myself as a very naive person. But maybe it's naive of me to have ever thought, really, that our rights weren't in fucking danger. Because, you know, there's the George Carlin quote that rights are just something we made up. They're not real. So... Um, good luck, ladies. I I wish you the best. I promise you, as you can see on this show, I'm worried and I'll do anything I can to assist because I believe when people's personal real liberties are taken away from them, it's fucking wrong. And I guess I'm in a minority sometimes in that. Uh, it feels kind of weird to do a movie or TV recommendation after this, but we need some positivity.
So uh, I'm going to recommend you guys checking out Barry on HBO. Uh, it's three seasons. I've watched all three seasons, and I am madly in love with it. My girlfriend thinks I'm a crazy person. I love this show with all my heart, but I also have an unhealthy obsession with Bill Hader. He's, uh, he writes, acts, and directs in this show. He's the main character. The show is about a, a hitman who goes to Los Angeles and decides he wants to become an actor. It is a beautifully shot show. Like, the cinematography is just chef's kiss. There's just so much going on in the show. It is a beautiful, beautiful fucking mess. I love it, and it deserves all the praise. And Bill Hader just deserves a bag of Emmys. Just a bag of them. Just give them all to him. Just just throw awards at the man. Two thumbs way up. But uh, thank you guys for listening to the Planet Comedy Podcast. Uh, You can find us, like I said at the beginning of the show... On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Pandora, Amazon, Google, all the big podcast places. Uh, You can find clips of this show on the social medias and soon on YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel. Check out our social medias at The Planet Comedy on Facebook and Instagram and at The PCP Gang on Twitter. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day or night and I will see you next week. (laughs) 